Welcome to Frontline Voices, a podcast by the Natural Resources Council of Maine. Maine's Northwoods make up more than half of the state. That's ten and a half million acres where the words that come to mind are remote and forested and wild and maybe even wilderness. But what exactly does that word, wilderness, mean? NRCM asked four people this question. In this episode, you'll hear from Bill Houston, Jen Brophy, James Francis Sr., and Kevin Slater. Here's the episode. I'm Bill Houston. I'm lucky to live in Kingfield, Maine. I'm currently retired as a public school teacher. I taught an outdoor leadership and skills course at Somerset and Career and Technical Center for 25 years. I'm currently serving as chairman of the board of directors for the National Wildlife Federation. I've been a Maine guide for a very long time, decades. You know, I primarily guided rafting in Maine on the West Branch and the Kennebec and the West Branch of the Penobscot being really what I would call my home river. I've been lucky enough to go to other places and come back and realize, you know, how special Maine is. And, and it's not just that it's home. We really have some of the greatest outdoors in the world, being the most heavily forested state in the nation. So the, the great North Woods, the mountains, and particularly the waters. I mean, the fact that we have thousands of lakes, we have, I believe, about 30,000 miles of rivers and streams and 7,000 miles of oceanfront. Maine is unique. It's very funny that a long time ago, when I was a senior in high school, all seniors had to submit a senior essay. And I wrote my essay on the value of wilderness, turned mine in late, typically. Didn't really want to speak at high school graduation. And of course, I got chosen to speak. At the last minute, I, I titled it Wilderness Man's Salvation. And so the concept there is that in wild places, in nature, there is solace for the human spirit, uh, which I really think is critical for human health. Almost 50 years later, there is a ton of actual research to show that that's true. That time spent in nature is good for the human soul. It's good for human health physically, but it's also good for uh, mental health. Back then, I used to think of wilderness as, you know, what I would now call the, the capital W, the big wild places, which we're still lucky to have in Maine. Uh, we're very lucky. As I think about it more, I recognize the importance of both the capital W wilderness, the big wilderness, that many of us will never get to. And, and this is where we have to think differently about the concept of wilderness and change that definition to wild places. And I would define a wild place where the sounds of nature, the sight of nature, and the touch of nature predominate, not necessarily to the exclusion of human sound and, and human intervention, but predominantly. I want to make sure that we can define a wild space as someone's backyard in, in a city. And the reality is that 
most people will not get a chance in their lifetime to visit a big wilderness. There is greater value in something that's rare and the rarity of big wilderness in the, in the lower 48, especially in the east of the lower 48, makes the wilderness of Maine even more valuable. But we have to look beyond that to think about the value for wilderness for everyone and making sure that that is accessible to everyone. One of the real tragedies of, of the big wilderness push where we've been lucky enough to preserve lots of big spectacular places. And, and I don't wanna minimize the importance of that, but these places have really been predominantly for wealthy white people. Currently, you know, 60 some percent of the American population would be considered white. The visits to our national parks for African-Americans is 1% of the visitors to our national parks are African-American. Three to 6% of the visitors to national parks are Hispanic. And there's lots of reasons for that. And, and some of them are tragic reasons of, of wild places being extremely unsafe where people were hung and murdered for the color of their skin. It was illegal in the part of the Jim Crow for people of color to go into these places. We need to recognize one, that we need to break down those barriers so that those big wilderness places need to be accessible for everyone, for sure. And that is some of the real work that needs to be done. And I think part of the, the changes we're seeing nationally is recognition of real systemic racist systems that have, have not made America, all of America available to everyone. For me, making wild places, knowing the power of nature for healing, especially, and for human health, I wanna make sure that those places are accessible to everyone. There are places in the country, and I think of Central Park in New York City as one of them, where there is a wild place in the middle of you know this megalopolis of a city. And we need to make those places safe also. I mean, the incident with the, the African-American birder, race weaponized against him for birding in, in Central Park is really an example that even those places aren't always accessible to people of color. But the value of that wild place, even though it is not a place that meets the definition of big wilderness, is still important and it's accessible. We at National Wildlife Federation work hard with our Gardening for Wildlife program, where we really work to encourage people to garden in their own space in a way that is friendly to wildlife. Interaction with, you know, a red squirrel and interaction with a chickadee can change people's perspective on the, on the value of wildlife, the value of wild places. But I'm a very strong believer that we need to get people into nature. And once they recognize that value of nature, they will take steps to protect it. It's always been a, a bit of a moral dilemma that I, as a guide, I am taking people into wild places. And by some people's definition, 
thusly it's not a wild place anymore because there's people there. But I just think that's really the wrong definition for, for wilderness. We need people there to appreciate it and to experience the real power of nature. And when they do, they will work to protect it. My name is Jen Brophy. I run the Red River Camps, which is in the middle of the woods up in Aroostook County. We're, goodness, 30 miles from the nearest town, um, the nearest stoplight, the nearest paved road. And I grew up there. So I've spent what, the vast majority of my life literally in the middle of the woods. My parents ran it before I did. And even just since I've taken over, we've seen a really big change in our demographic. We used to cater strictly to the hunters and the, the diehard fishermen. Usually big groups of men, very few women, but not many. And over the last 12 years, we've been noticing that we still get a lot of those big groups of men, but we have a lot of couples. We have a lot of younger folks. We have groups of women. I've actually hosted a bachelorette party. And so the, the demographic is changing a bit. And we find that a lot of people do still come for fishing and for bird hunting, but a lot of people are also now coming for hiking, for paddling, we're getting out into the woods for doing what a lot of people are now calling forest bathing, just getting away from the city um, and getting out into the woods, which is very nice. I think a lot of people are starting to realize that the way we tend to live our lives nowadays online and constant go, go, go is really not sustainable. It's not sustainable for our brains because we're just on all the time. It's not sustainable for the world because we're just consuming so much. There have been so many studies on that and so much research done about how getting out into the woods makes you feel better, reduces your blood pressure, helps you think more clearly, um, can help reduce the signs of depression and things like that. And I think where people are, you know, having trouble with the pandemic, just, you know, being so stressed out and so worried about the future, that getting out into the woods is kind of leveling that out. It's not getting us all back to where we were, but it's helping to, to kind of cut off those high and low points. But I think for a lot of people, the concept of wilderness is somewhere where you can go and truly be yourself because you don't have a lot of people around trying to influence the way you're thinking and acting. And that's different for everybody. For a lot of people who live in town or who live in the cities, wilderness is, goodness, some of our small towns up here. You can come to Ashland, Maine or Portage, Maine and feel like you're in the wilderness because you're surrounded by so many fewer people than you are in your daily life. Almost anywhere in the world that you go nowadays, there has been some human presence. But getting out to a place where you can see wildlife, you can experience that bubbling brook, you can see a bear doing the things that bears do, you can see a moose, it's feeding and it's enjoying its own life. For a lot of people, that is wilderness, even if they're on a dirt road or even if they're on a trail that the Conservation Corps has been maintaining. So you, of course, know that there were people there. But I think just to get out, to get it out and get away from the number of people you usually see gets people into, you know, their wilderness in their mind. If I get out onto one of the more remote lakes or one of the more remote mountains or, you know, anywhere where... I'm away from work and even further away from people than I usually am. It's gratitude that there are different places, that there are places where 
humans haven't had as big a presence. There's a lot of awe and wonder still, you know, even though I grew up in the woods and I live in the woods, you know, a beautiful sunset will still just, you know, it'll blow my mind. Sitting by one of those babbling brooks or a waterfall or anywhere that you can feel the power of the water coming out of a lake and just rushing down the stream to the ocean, it makes you realize that you're not as big as you think you are in your mind. That there are forces out there that impact you without you even realizing it that are so big that there's nothing you as an individual could do to change them. And I think you know that's a little bit of the concept of wilderness that I've been trying to think about. My name is James Eric Francis Sr. I'm the Director of Cultural and Historic Preservation for the Penobscot Nation, and I'm also a artist. I'm a filmmaker, I paint, I'm a photographer specializing in time-lapse photography. I live on the Penobscot Indian Reservation near Old Town, Maine. So I guess it all started back when I was an undergraduate at the University of Maine studying history. I had just come back from living in Wyoming. I was in the Air Force for four years, and it was seemed to be a very alien landscape to me. And when I came home, I was taking a Native American studies class and learned about the Trail of Tears, forcible removal of the Cherokee Nation from their homeland to a very foreign land. And had a lot of admiration for that tribe at that time because they survived. As I was walking across the campus of the University of Maine, it struck me that my tribe has never been removed. We are still within our homeland. And so it changed my my life and what I read and how I approached history and geography. So I began looking at Native American place names, they really offer a window into how my ancestors saw and used the landscape. So that's where it really all began uh, for me, looking at that connection between uh, my ancestors and this landscape. I've become quite a geographer over the last 25 years studying this place. I'm a student of the Penobscot language. That really helps decode some of the the words. Like the word Penobscot comes from a description of the falls that are in Old Town, Maine. In fact, the, the island I live on, Indian Island, is in the impoundment of a dam that covers those falls today. And the word Penobscot means place of the white rocks or where the river widens out. But there's this white rock indication within it. And because we can't see those falls today because of the dam, I've always assumed that it was water cascading over the rocks appearing white. But a couple of years ago, they had to draw down the dam to do some repairs on the dam. So the impoundment, the water behind the dam was drawn down to historic low levels. There were islands popping up we had never seen and ledges showing up. And this was about a three-week period that it was like this. And about a week, week and a half into it, all the rocks turned white. 
they had this white film on them. And that was a huge aha moment. It was something that was nice because oftentimes when you remove a structure like a dam or build a structure like a dam, you're burying information. And so when we remove dams, or in this case, you lower the impoundment, we can get more information. For me, it isn't just about finding the word and decoding the word. A lot of times it takes uh, field work. It takes going out there and trying to figure out what they meant by that. Is, is that feature still prevalent in the landscape that you can see? Our cultures were, were very mobile, very sophisticated migratory patterns following the seasons. And a lot of these place names are travel markers. They're road signs. They indicate, um, you know, where to travel and where to take one channel over the other. And so it was very important for the overall understanding of the landscape to name things that were relevant and important. The term wilderness, while it's, it's based in a, a Euro kind of cultural view and from a European sense of view, you know, with coming here and seeing this heavily forested area that was wild. And then, and we as people, as indigenous people to this wildness, are seen also as as wild, as savage. So oftentimes, when looking from that European worldview, it tends to diminish Native cultures. And my role is to elevate us, that we were here with this landscape, living as stewards of this land and this river. It's not to say that we didn't change anything. We were certainly part of the ecosystem. We burned when necessary. Um, it's interesting, our, our word for field has the root word for fire within it. So field and fire, they, they go together because you burn something, you're gonna get a field. So when you look at the word wilderness, Today, you know, I think people tend to equate it more with, you know, preservation or conservation and untouched by people. But this land was never untouched by people. Penobscots and other Wabanaki people have been inhabiting this land for a long time. And so this whole idea of wilderness is kind of a, a misnomer. I mean, there were people here, human beings. Even though we're using the term wilderness, which is a term that's defined as lack of people, I think it's also really important to acknowledge the contributions of the indigenous people who have been living here for millennia, you know, and that acknowledgement goes a long way in stemming those racial inequities especially here in Maine. Just an acknowledgement. My name is Kevin Slater, and Polly Mahoney and I run Mahoosie Guide Service, and I have made my living 
is a main guide for oh probably close to 44 45 years now we're one of the few outfits that uh, we make our living year-round as guides we're not part-timers we're full-time and uh, we've got sled dogs in the winter and fishing trips in the spring and fall and canoe trips in the summer and if you have to live in the lower 48 and you want to make your living as a guide, you'd be hard-pressed to find a better state than Maine. The wild country we have rivals a lot of the western states even. You don't need a guide in states that are overly developed and there's roads everywhere. People want a guide to go into remote areas. So as long as we can keep northern Maine wild and remote, then you will be jobs for guides. Good wildlife habitat is good guide habitat, okay? You can't have one without the other. So the more wild country we have, the more opportunity there is for main guides to guide in that country, whether it's guiding fishing, hunting, canoe trips. So this year is the 50th anniversary of the Allagash being recognized in the National Wild and Scenic River System, okay? But five years prior to that, the people of the great state of Maine voted to make it a wilderness waterway. And um, wilderness means different things to different people. So I want to define <laughs> what I would call wilderness. And to me, wilderness is an area that is wild, relatively undeveloped, and has a complete and functioning ecosystem, including the top predators, the way the creator made it. A lot of people's concept of wilderness is wild country, untouched. You can't see the impact of of mankind at all. That's their definition of wilderness. And to me, that is a very colonial concept, Western European concept. Because when the Europeans landed here, when Columbus got lost and subsequent generations of Europeans came and invaded this country, there were already 5 million indigenous people living here and had been living here for 12 or 13,000 years. The difference is they didn't trash the ecosystem. They didn't pollute it. They didn't do major extractive things like mining or whatever. They lived basically, they took what they needed, but the land regenerated always, okay? They would cut trees, they would harvest sweet grass, they would burn areas so the blueberries would come back better. So the concept of wilderness being untouched by humankind is, as far as I'm concerned, it's a misnomer. And it is, <laughs> it's a falsehood. It doesn't exist. If you recall my definition, <laughs> which is a complete and intact ecosystem that is not polluted, then given my definition, we have wildlands we don't have wilderness because we don't have top predators. 
We have a lot of wild country, beautiful country, very remote, very peaceful and quiet. But given my definition of wilderness, which is basically it's not polluted and the ecosystem is functioning the way the creator made it, we would need to have top predators back in the picture. But it's interesting that Native people don't really have a cultural construct or a word for wilderness. It doesn't exist. That's why I refer to the idea of wilderness as a colonist construct. In, in the Cree language, the closest thing to what we would call, you know, the North Woods or Northern Wilderness, they refer to the country that they live in as Kirichinu, which translates into English as the people's garden. What the Europeans saw as wilderness and a northern frozen wasteland, they saw it as their garden. It provides for them everything they need. Since we basically stole the country, I think the least we could do is let them continue to do their sustainable cultural you know, harvesting activities and hold ceremonies on any and all public lands, unrestricted. The wild country that we have left in Maine, we need to keep it wild. Because once the roads are put in or it's developed, it'll never go back. So we, people that are fortunate enough to live in Maine, need to recognize and appreciate what a gift we have to have this much wild country because no other state east of the Mississippi has it. We need to do everything we can to make sure as much of Maine stays as wild as possible. Thank you so much to our guests, Bill Houston, Jen Brophy, James Francis Sr., and Kevin Slater. Thank you for listening to Maine Environment Frontline Voices. To learn more about NRCM, please visit nrcm.org. Thank you.